Baltimore's changing very, very rapidly. And as a business, if you notice your clientele's changing, you have to change along with your clientele. Steve Chu is possibly one of Baltimore's favorite people, and it has very little to do with him being likable, which he is, and instead a lot to do with his buns. Steve is the co-founder of Ecuben, home to the delicious steamed buns, rice bowls, and fried chicken that Baltimore has collectively found insatiable. In this episode, we chat about the road to Ecuben and how the entire concept might not have even existed without a Venn diagram scrawled onto drywall and UFC fighters. <laughs> oh, where did you go to college? So I went to UMBC, okay. and that's where Go I, Retrievers. The Go Retrievers, You Must Be Crazy, or You Must Be Chinese. That's what all stands for, <laughs> I've right? I've never heard those. Yeah, and uh, that's why I actually met my future partners, Ephraim and Kill. Okay, that was my one of my questions, was your origin story. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we all met. We were all just, um, we wanted to join the club. I mean, Habitat for Humanity sounds awesome. Who doesn't want to build houses? Like, that sounds like so much fun. Mm -hmm. And eventually we became officers in the organization the following year. And we made it very profitable. We made the nonprofit super profitable, pretty much. How did you do that? Uh, We grinded really, really hard. It was like team no sleep. It was essentially what we did or or what we're doing now. It's like no change. Like, hey, man, you want to do like this little fundraiser and sell cookies for like 10 cents a cookie. Oh yeah, sure. So it's like a great idea. And we're there in the hallway for like 14 hours. So you're shameless. We're shameless. We're like, hey, you want to buy this cookie? No, go fuck yourself. Your girlfriend would love this cookie. All right, man, she does like cookies. It's only 10 cents. I got a dollar. Let me get 10. Why did you even need school? You're a born salesman. (laughs) And so from that, um, I've always been in the food industry and and that's always what I've wanted to do. And one day, I just kind of looked at Ephraim Nikhil, and I was like, hey, you guys want to do this food business? Like, you guys have the intangible skills that you need. Like, you're hardworking, shameless, and, like, we, we were just so passionate about Habitat for Humanity, and we were still eating, like, top ramen every day. Mm-hmm. And that, that says something about their character. And, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. Well, so what happened next? I mean, what are, what are your roles within the business? Um, so... Nikhil still does our social media, um, but he's no longer, like, a partner in the company. He's just like, I want to do different shit. And we're like, yeah, that's cool, man. Go do different shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ephraim, he's, like, the lord of duct tape. Like, anything <laughs> is broken. Like, it's getting fixed. And you can walk to the restaurant and look. And be like, Ephraim's been there. Because uh-huh. there's, like, nine pounds of duct tape on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's also a general manager. And... Uh, he pretty much does like everything that I can't do, and I do the the cooking. I do the books. Um, is it your food? Is it like yeah. you created yeah. the menu? Yeah, I mean the food's amazing. Thank you so much. It's so good. Yeah. It's that really amazing line of like uh, so good that you take your friends and family when they're in town, but also really good for a hangover. Oh yeah. And I don't know that there are a lot of foods that are like in that Venn diagram. You know, yeah. like it's it's a destination and it's a cure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like a um, reflection of ourselves, you know. Like, yeah. I've been here for 10 minutes. I'm on my second beer. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reflection of your tomorrow, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, why Ekiben? I mean, why why that name? Why that kind of food? How did it all start? So when we first started the, um, the company, we had another concept in mind. And... Um, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to do that. It wasn't Asian food. 
Um, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to do that or to do Asian food. And I was like really, really torn. I was like at that crossroads. And so it's, it's really ironic because I got off of work one night and I, I pounded down a bottle of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Just like just chugged in like four minutes. And then I had like two 60-minute IPAs. Because uh-huh. like you look at your heroes and, and Mark Twain drank a lot for like reflection and to learn stuff. And so I drank all that in like a minute or two minutes. And I sat back and I was like, all right, let's see what happens. And I had this whiteboard that I bought just for this occasion. I grabbed a printer marker and I drew, like, I made like this massive Venn diagram everywhere except for the fucking whiteboard. It was just like on my wall. Really? <laughs> yeah. So if you go to my dad's house and go to his basement, like where I used to, used to live, you're going to see like this like caveman drawing of, of how Ekiben. I decided to kind of form Ekiban. That's really cool. Yeah. And he let you keep it up there? He's like, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I would have painted over it by now, but he's a better parent than I am. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it was that night where you decided to go this direction? Yeah. It yeah. was just uh, very much just all of a sudden, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Oh, my gosh. And I called him. I was like, this is what we're doing. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And are you guys all from Baltimore? Um, So Nikhil and I are from Montgomery County originally. Oh, okay. My parents are divorced, so my dad actually lives in Pikesville, and his business is in Pikesville, so mm-hmm. I'd see him, like, in the summertime. And my mom lives in Montgomery County, so I'd spend most of the school year with her. Uh, Ephraim is from Ethiopia, and he went to boarding school in Virginia, but he's also originally from the DMV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all DMV kids. But then why Baltimore? I mean, if you if you weren't really – I guess you were at UMBC, which is still a little outside the city. Um, so how did you migrate – here. So I'm from Taiwan, and I've been there a few times. Um, so while we were in UMBC with our fake IDs, we'd always, you know, come down to the city and like party and mm-hmm. drink and stuff. And we'd always go to certain neighborhoods that were that were cool, uh, but they never like resonated with me. And then one night, we came to Falls Point. I was like, I love this place. It's by the water. It smells like the water. It reminds me a lot of Taiwan. And you get all those nostalgic feelings. I totally fell in love with it. And, like, the next four weeks, I kept on calling Falls Point Fed Hill. Mm-hmm. They're like, we didn't go to Fed Hill. We went to Falls Point. I'm like, wait, wait what? And it, it just wouldn't wouldn't click. Um, but it's funny how, like, everything comes full circle because after college, I went to go work in a bunch of different restaurants. And I got the hot dog cart. And the original idea with the hot dog cart was, hey, we're going to push it around, like, the Inner Harbor. And be like, hey, who wants some steam bun sandwiches? Uh, but the health department told us that we weren't able to do that. Well, we technically could until someone came out of their business or whatever, like, hey, get the fuck off the street. You can't be here. Do you have a permit here? And then we'd have to be like, no, we don't have a permit. Okay, I'm sorry. And then we'd have to push our cart down the next block. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, eh, that doesn't sound too too much fun. So the next best thing was to go find a a place that would let us set up shop, which were the farmer's markets. And Black Sauce was the inspiration to this. Like, we went there and we had their food. And I was like, wow, like, they can do this kind of quality food. Mm-hmm. 32nd Street, market. or were you at? Um, the, uh, yeah. 83. Yeah, yeah, 83. And, I'm uh, just trying to paint a picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. And I remember the first time going to 83, walked over there. I was like, wow, there's so many people. It's like China. <laughs> yeah, just like, <laughs> uh, the Chinese have a saying called uh, People Mountain, People Sea, which means just 
so many people that encompasses like the mountains and the seas and that was like 83 i was like holy crap mm -hmm. um yeah we had the food it was phenomenal and we're like okay like this is what we're gonna do so we put our application to 83 and they're like who are you get on the waiting list <laughs> i know there's a waiting list well, of course there is yeah, it's, it's it's packed super long yeah. yeah um at that time it was like a three-year waiting list and so we're like okay well i'm not waiting three years so we we actually put our application to every single farmer's market and um the false point farmer's market said yes so Merritt Dorkin, who's the manager of the False Point Farmers Market, kind of, kind of um, sparked the dream. Really, she was like, "Oh, who are you? Oh, yeah, steamed sandwiches. That's delicious. How long have I been doing this for? Oh, not very long. Okay, cool. Well, you know, what? I'll see you next week. You guys want to come next week? All right, come in next week. So it's just new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, she put us next to the the water taxi, which is supposedly like the one of the best spots. Like people come to and from the water taxi. Like, you see all this foot traffic. We're like, we're going to crush it. Nah. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was, like, our moms, like, the first <laughs> few months. Like, it was, it was really rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, and, so then what, what turned? What changed? Um, so after, like, the – so we started off in October, oh, August, right? So it was, like, in the middle of the event season – middle of the farmer's market season. And uh, I was like, dude, we should just give it like a full year. And just let's just give it a full year, see what happens. And it sucks, it sucks, whatever. We'll pack up our bags and do something else. And they're like, yeah, let's do it for another full year. And then like when we opened up, it was just like. Pfft. Everything just Yeah, it was clicked. pandemonium. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. We had like lines from like week one. How many like, farmers markets? How many market? I guess markets in general. I mean, where are you throughout the week? Now we went from once a week, False Point Farmers Market, to I think we on our heyday we did like four, four a week, and on top of that with like every event that we could get our hands on the city and right. outside the city. Right. So then, well, how do you divide your time now between brick and mortar and events? So I'm usually like the brick and mortar guy. Like I stay there and now Ephraim's the event guy. Okay. So because they're very different business models, um, I'm like, yo, Ephraim, you know how this works. Um, so when we had the heart.cart originally, like year one, year two, I was like, Ephraim, I'll make the food. Just make sure the food gets it. Like I'll, I'll buy all the equipment, whatever. Like this is what you need. Just make sure it gets it. He's like, okay. And so I pretty much just took that skill set, and I just was like, hey, let's, you know, just multiply it by, like, a trillion. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's scalable. <laughs> um, how have you found the reception for brick and mortar? Because I know, like, there's this big trend toward, um, like, food trucks and, and event-based food. Um, and so doing a brick and mortar, like, was that – scary or was it just kind of like the natural next step um it wasn't really scary uh so like I, i've worked in the restaurant business for like a long time and i've had a lot of time to to think about like the pros and cons of everything um i'm all about doing like your due diligence before you jump into anything and the goal was always like a brick and mortar right so originally the goal was a food truck um, when we first started, I was like, hey, you guys want to open a food truck? They're like, yeah, that's fucking cool. Like, Let's fucking do it. You know, we're like, 
21, bushy-tailed, have, like, drinking problems. Like, if you don't know. Let's just do it. Yeah, let's <laughs> we'll just do it. Out. And then we, we went on eBay to look up food trucks, and they're, like, 80 grand. What? And, yeah, and we were going to Happy Hour every day. So I was like, all right, well, how much money you guys got? And we, like, a three of us pulled out our bank accounts. It's like, oh, dude, I owe the bank money. <laughs> so not 80 grand. <laughs> yeah. I got like $2 and I got like some lint in my pocket. Like that was, that, that was it. It's like, well, well, damn, well, we got to go back and like retool this story. And we looked up hot dog carts and they were like super cheap. And we found one that was supposedly made in like North Carolina. And uh, it could get shipped to us in like a couple of days. It was fully assembled. Everything's awesome. So we're like, let's just order it. Like a few months later, we save up all our money. We don't go to happy hour anymore. Mm-hmm. We just drink at home or something. I don't know. <laughs> Make it work. <laughs> yeah, we, we made it work. And uh, we ordered it. And a couple weeks later, it showed up. And I forget what Nikhil was doing. I think he was like overseas or something. But it was like Ephraim and I waiting for this this like hot dog cart that was going to make all of our dreams come true, show up. And the uh, like the 16-wheeler shows up. The gates open up, and he's like, do you guys want the pallet? I'm like, no, we don't need the pallet. It's already assembled. And he looks at us, and he's like, I'm just going to leave the pallet with you because you're going to need the pallet. And he drops it off. He opens everything up. And I was like, yo, Ephraim, um, this is, like, pre-assembled, right? And he was like, this doesn't look pre-assembled. Like, the axle's on top of the cart. And I was like, oh, okay. And the, the title's in this package, and I open it up, and it's from, like, Guangzhou, China, and I'm like, this isn't this is North Carolina, and like Ephraim was, I don't know, I was like 120 pounds, and then like Ephraim, you know, was like I don't know, 160, 180, or whatever, and and that cart was like 900 pounds. Oh my god! And he's like, we're gonna do this. And I'm like, there's no, there's no fucking way. Like, <laughs> like what? Like, none of us are like strong enough to lift a, a ton. He's like, no, we can do it. Anyways, like, like fast forward two hours later, and we're just like struggling, and, like cutting our hands on this really sharp metal. Uh, we call our friends who do UFC, and they just show up, and they're like, yeah, man, I can, I can do this. And then we assembled oh. in like three hours after that. Just your UFC friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like okay. UFC friends, you know. Oh my gosh! So you might not have existed without UFC. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It would have been a very different setup. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So where were you preparing the food at that point? Were you making it at home and filling the cart, or? No, so um, originally the idea was like, yeah, we could do it at home, uh, but you're not allowed to. Um, Baltimore City requires you to work in a commissary or like a real kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, hey, Dad, can I use your restaurant kitchen? He was like, no. And I was like, awesome. And I had to like bargain with my dad. Like, if you don't let me do this, I'm going to quit. Because <laughs> I worked for my dad at that time. Uh-huh. I, I was his GM. I was like, if you don't let me do this, I'm going to quit. And he's like, all right, well. All right, well, then fucking do it then. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good bargaining chip to have. Yeah, sorry, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he's proud of what's happened. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he knows about all the drinking, but we'll find out. He's going to hear on this, I guess, if he hasn't found out by now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, last September was the um, night market, and I heard you guys sold out, like, for the weekend. Because it, it was such a, a well-attended event. Is that, is that true? Yeah, so what was amazing about the night market is it was kind of a way for for the Asian community to say, hey, we're here. And I think 
I think we expected like 1,500 people to show up, but like 15,000 people showed up. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I was only there. I got there right when it started. Like I guess it was four. Dude. And I brought my kids. We were in the little grassy area. And within an hour, we had to leave because I was going to lose one of my children yeah. because it was so packed. And it was incredible. I mean, to, I feel so grateful that I got to see it go from like, oh, it's like there's people here. Awesome. To like, this is a huge raging success. This is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what was awesome. that night like? You must have been hustling your ass off. Um, it was a lot of great energy. Everyone was super happy. The event went super smooth. No one, I don't think anyone got hurt. Um, and the only negative energy I received was from my Uber driver. <laughs> he was like, why the fuck did I wait in this traffic for like 30 minutes? Like, why? where are you taking me? He's like, can you, can you just come to me? And I was like, dude, you're like seven blocks away. He's like, you got to come to me. And I was like, okay, I'll come to you. <laughs> and I get in the car and he's like yelling at me for like 10 minutes. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? We're celebrating Asian culture. <laughs> yeah, get over yeah, it. Like, yo, you're Indian, bro. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, you want to come? <laughs> uh, just park the car. We'll go back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so cool. So you guys, like, I, I, I had heard, like, you had to have more food brought in. It was just, like, a big success all, yeah. all around. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> So the event started at like five, four or five. Four, I think. And I got a call like an hour and a half in saying like, yo, we need more food. I'm like, bitch, what time is it? Like, how long have you been there? And so we had to maneuver through all this traffic. And I had a rental truck at the time, so I wasn't too comfortable with it. Um, but I definitely drove through a ton of do not enter alleyways in order to get the food there on time. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, like, that night, because people didn't want to wait in all those lines, they were like, oh, we just came to the restaurant instead. And the restaurant wasn't much better. Like, that line was bonkers in the restaurant. People left and went to Fells to get the food? Yeah. People left and went to Fells to get the food. And and that's, it was so that's hard. That's a pretty, like, amazing thing. I mean, that's a really amazing compliment for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was But they left, like, one of the biggest parties of the year to go get your food. And then I'm guessing went back to the party. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I was just like, there's no food in the restaurant, but they need it at the night market. So I had to, I had to um, decide whether I wanted to take like all the food from the restaurant or just like part of it. We just like part of it, and I just kind of, there was like no win-win situation. It was just like, someone's got to lose, but maybe I'll just do like a middle ground. Mm-hmm. My managers looked at me like, dude, you see a line at the door and there's no food, and I'm like. Do you see the line at the market? It's down the block and around the corner. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, it was pretty wild. Well, next year I'll be prepared. You'll yeah, know. Ne- next year yeah. we will be much better prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, now, now we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what's next for you guys? Um, we're gonna try to survive next year. So every year, what we do is we try to set goals of like selling x amount of sandwiches um so we don't our benchmarks are not numbers like financial numbers it's like how much product can you get out there and our benchmark for 2019 is like really 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 high our number last year was stupid high i was like we're not gonna be able to hit this and we hit it so this year is going to be hit that number a little bit higher but make it more sustainable. Like, our goal is gonna sleep. 
our goal is going to be like, hey, you can sleep four hours today mm -hmm. <laughs> as opposed to like two and a half. So you're not sleeping at all. <laughs> What? You're, like, are you you're, are you saying you're not sleeping? What a sleep. <laughs> okay. And I have toddlers. I don't know if sleep is either. Um, different kind of baby. Yeah, I'm ready for fatherhood. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so you're trying to like, you're right. So you're being, you're sustaining it all around, not just financially, but like, you know, you need to watch out for yourself. Yeah. Too. I mean, the most important part about Ekiben are the people, right? It's the guests that come in. Mm -hmm. They have to be happy, and also our team that also have to be happy and alive and. There's, like, a big thing in the restaurant industry where people don't live, like, the most healthy lives, the most balanced lives, and we are trying to change that model um, just one day at a time. And, and this year it's going to be team a little bit more sleep instead of team no sleep. Okay, but that's a good – that's an achievable goal. Exactly. Yeah. I waited tables for a long time, and it was, like, I ate french fries for dinner, drank every night. It never slept. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was it for like seven years. It's all we I We used to um, squeeze mashed potatoes in our mouths like <laughs> after the shift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pom puree, as they, as they call it. A pom puree. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Not mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes are too chunky. <laughs> so as you're thinking about this model of like healthfulness for your employees, um, how does that parlay into the food? Is there a healthfulness aspect to the food or is it? And what's the what's like the ethos of the food? So, our our goal for Akiben was to kind of bring people together. Like Akiben is not Akiben. Baltimore is a city where there's a lot of economic diversity, and and those groups of people don't exactly always mingle together. Unless there's a reason, and we wanted to be one of those reasons, and so we wanted to serve something of like really, 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 really high quality, something you get at like a really expensive restaurant, but kind of make it at a very affordable price point, and so that makes makes it a very interesting model, um, and it, it's it's worked because you know when you come to Ekiban on a Saturday. You'll see like a Jewish grandmother sitting next to a squeegee kid, and they're just talking because Jewish grandmothers are just like the nicest people alive. And like, oh, what's your name? And then they'll like talk for three hours, and then I'll look at them and be like, dude, you gotta get up. Like, there's a hundred people out that door. Like, please, like, I'm so sorry. I'll be in the car. It's enough like sweet Hallmark moment. Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, for someone that's never tried Ekiben, though, I mean, can you describe what you make and what you serve? So we do steam on sandwiches and rice bowls. Um, our most popular thing is like fried chicken. I never expected it to be that popular. Really? Like I knew I knew it was good. Who doesn't I knew like it was fried? Good. Besides like vegans, who doesn't like fried chicken? <laughs> <laughs> our tofu is phenomenal too. You do have really good oh, tofu. Oh, it's so good. You have great tofu. And so um, I have this conversation with Ephraim a lot, and he's like, "So when Ekman first started." our original intent was to change the menu like every week. We'd have like one thing that rotates every week. And we just sold so much fucking chicken that I was like, dude, I can't do this anymore. Like we just really need to like hunker down on like our core items. And that's what we did. Like first year I come out with like a bunch of stuff like every couple of weeks and people would buy it and they love it. But I was like, I'm not really selling enough in order to like, this isn't sustainable. So I was like, Fuck it. And um, Ephraim looked at me, and he was like, every time you don't sell out of these, like, specials, 
you look so dead on the inside. And I was like, yeah, because I made two, but everyone wants a fucking fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us what we want. <laughs> well, yeah, the food is so good. And wait, what kind of restaurant does your dad have? I mean, what kind of what kind of food did you grow up like so working in like a, and seeing him make? He owns an American Chinese restaurant. Um, it's called Jumbo Seafood, and it's been around for like twenty six years. Wow! Yeah, that's in a, Pikesville. Yeah, it's a yeah. massive milestone. Um, when he opened up, he was like, so one of the reasons why I decided to enter this business was um, looking at his wall of accolades in the restaurant. And then seeing his stack of accolades in the fucking garage, I was like, Dad, you should put these up. He was like, no. There's too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, why don't you do it? He's like, I'm just lazy. I was like, all right, well. And one day it just kind of hit me, like, why? So, like, Asian culture is very much you do what your family has done before you. You know, it's like a, like a family legacy. Like, if I make knives... I have my fa- my dad makes knives. I gotta make knives too. My dad's a plumber. I gotta be a plumber too. And the the idea behind that is, they've spent their whole lives learning this one craft, mm-hmm. and you can springboard on top of that and be a monster at whatever you do. But I'm really stubborn, so I was like, I'm gonna go to law school. Uh, not nah, fuck that. I'm gonna be an economics professor. Uh, not nah, fuck that. I'm gonna do the food business. Um, Those were lofty goals, at least. They're, they're great goals, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I was like, "Dude, I'll be forty-five, be a lawyer, or whatever, and I'll still want to open up a restaurant." And being forty-five and opening up a restaurant is probably the worst idea mm-hmm. ever. I mean, if you've done it, if you're listening to this and you've done that and you succeeded, yo, mad props to you. Uh, if you want a job, like I got you. He's trying to put that in. He didn't mean it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because it's so. I mean, I think starting any business, like after you've already had a career, that's like that's going to be really complicated. Yeah. So you kind of just you knew that you were going to do that anyway. So why not just do it now? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very hard. Like the industry is really difficult. Um, money is never guaranteed. Um, and especially like if you got like two kids, a mortgage and like two cars or whatever, like the the risk is just way too high and And it's exhausting and you know, you don't get sick days. It's, it's, it's your business. You got to keep going. Oh yeah. Sick days and 401k. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a dream. (laughs) Well, maybe that'll be next year's goal. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Um, how do the three of you work together? I guess it's more you and Ephraim that are like the core now. Yeah. Um, Um, so Ephraim and I have, like, phenomenal synergy. It's, like, one of those relationships where you kind of look at someone and you just, like, raise your eyebrows and, like, oh, yeah, you just told me, like, nine paragraphs. I noticed that about you, too, that you were, like, finishing each other's sentences and, and would look at each other and the other one would just sort of know to talk or not talk. So there's definitely a connection that an outsider can see. I just I assumed it was the same way on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both very conscious people and i don't know about him but like i'm not the best listener and i'm not the best reader but i learn visually so i can pick up on cues and and for me like that's what helps a lot Mm -hmm. um i think ephraim's a lot better at you know listening and and uh reading but so you complete each other yeah i guess guess. so the restaurant industry is like very brutal Right, so on top of work stresses, you also have you have to go home 
to like family or whatever and and that also is a massive struggle too and imagine having a spouse that works seven days a week 16 hours a day like do you really have a spouse you see him like once a month like that's it's really difficult so a lot of it it's not always like the money sometimes it's like yo i gotta like my wife needs me or you know someone's sick in the family i need to be there for them and why open up a restaurant like i can't really be there for them um and like there are there are a lot of reasons like baltimore's changing very very rapidly and as a business you kind of have to meet the demand if you notice your clientele is changing you have to change along with the clientele um we're, we're in like a weird crossroads where i've haven't really seen ever you know it's kind of like when dc was just starting to change dramatically we're kind of like in in like that pre u street being yeah. what it is yeah yeah pre u street pre h street is that why you're looking to change your model now when at the outside of your career Absolutely. yeah yeah yeah, I mean, those are important. I mean, like I said, I worked in the food industry, and those everything you just said is very accurate. Just from my estimation, yeah. um, I was one of the only people I know that like didn't do coke at one of the restaurants where I worked, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> had no friends because of it. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I mean, I also think the age piece is worth mentioning because you look at restaurant closures, um, like Donna's, and Donna's is is, the, I mean, it was like this pillar of of any community it was in it's been in multiple but um they wrote in the paper like that or they said in the paper that they their clientele is aging out you know people are looking for different things and they're they're just so many different experiences and that kind of can dwindle sales i guess donna's has been around for like over a decade no like no like 20 over 20 years i think and that in itself is like a massive accomplishment but then that's the thing is like i feel like we are looking at it as a failure when instead they had all this all these years of success exactly. against all the odds yeah and and it should be celebrated that exactly. you know she can she still has cosima which is a wonderful restaurant yeah. <laughs> to quote tobias <laughs> um, um, and uh i it's disappointing to me that we can't look past like the reasons are the reasons, and I think that they're worth worth considering. Yeah, in economics, um, we were talking about like data. Right? It's like a very data driven industry, and based off of that data, you can you can tell a story, and you can either look at it as the glass is half full or it's half empty. Yeah, it's big. Like we're trying to change that by not being a very numbers heavy organization, but about being how many people leave here really, really happy and satisfied? And Yelp is, is huge in that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm not in the restaurant, if I'm overseas, and if I get like a four-star Yelp review, oh my God. That's good. <laughs> yeah, so, someone's, someone's in trouble. I did not realize until recently, uh, we met with the Yelp um, team that, the man that runs at Isaiah. Isaiah? Yeah. That's the man. He's is he great. That is the, oh. the fucking dude. So he um, was in the podcast room, but not on the podcast when we had to be more creatives. Yeah. Um, and I have to figure out how to get him on eventually because he's, he's wonderful. But I didn't realize how invested in um, local business Yelp actually is. I mean, I thought they were sort of a platform for people to comment. And there's so, so, so much more. Yeah. Have they, I mean, you know Isaiah, so I'm assuming you know and have, benefited from all this so 
I've always known of Isaiah, um, but I actually met him at the uh, the the event we were at. Um, and yeah, his goal is to actually help businesses. It's not to to hurt anybody. Um, but it, it's very hard for businesses to differentiate like who the good guy and the bad guy is. Like if a customer is giving a negative review on Yelp, people tend to blame the messenger, right? Like Yelp is kind of the middleman and they're like, well, we can post on our platform. And if someone gets a bad review, they just, they blame Yelp, mm-hmm. right? Um, but however, Yelp has kind of, which which is a testament to, to the company, they've positioned themselves in a way where it doesn't matter if you like Yelp or hate Yelp, if you're hungry, you know where to go, you're going to pull up Yelp on your phone. Um, but it's it's really good to know that you know, people like Isaiah are there to, like, they got your back. And if you really need anything from them, you can just reach out. Like, they're they're very available. Yeah. They're an incredible resource. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever gotten, like, a quote-worthy, terrible Yelp review? Food is great. Everything is awesome. Bad parking, one star. Yeah. No. Yep. Are you serious? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? But, like, luckily they have a filter, and it's like, they just, like, get rid of it. Well, because, right, that's ridiculous. One star for parking Everyone, in a city. Yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. It's cool. <laughs> sure, but just whatever. It's fine. Um, okay, so during each podcast, I ask a few questions just to get people's take on what they like to do in the city. And I'm cycling one out because I realized it was a little redundant. I had uh, where to go to dinner, and I might take that one out. And for you, it might be where to go to lunch. So we'll get to that in a second. But you can also decide you want to answer something else if you can think of a better question. So the first one is, favorite place in Baltimore to go on a date? Definitely La Cuchara. It's just like a great, beautiful spot. The food's phenomenal. Uh, the, the service staff there is great. Very knowledgeable. Um, definitely some of the best food in the city, hands down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree. And they have the best happy hour in the city. Fact. What is their happy hour? Um, we can look it up on Yelp if yeah. you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's Google now. I put you on the up. spot. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, favorite place. Uh, favorite place to grab a drink. Max's Tap House. Like, it's I don't a think anyone's st- answered that before. Really? Yeah. It's a- I don't, right, Mike. I don't think. Yeah, and that's a kind of an obvious one. Dude, yeah. it's an institution. They have so many phenomenal beers. The bartenders there are like. I think they're like the best in the industry. Like I've I've walked in there, and then, like I guess like I used to be regular, and then like I didn't go back for like a long time, and they still knew what I wanted. I was like, "What? That's oh, insane! I've cool. been back in a year. Like that's wild." Very cool. Um, favorite place to be outside? Yo, I. I own a restaurant. I, I live in like four walls. <laughs> what is outside <laughs> the alleyway beside Ekiban? That's great. When you when you let yourself out, <laughs> where do you let yourself go? Um, so if I'm not in Baltimore, I do a lot of traveling. Um, just because I like to see other cultures and like different people, and I, I like getting to understand people better. And I think Americans kind of have this like naive arrogant like way when they view things like when you go to an Asian restaurant you go oh, the service is fucking trash and to American standards it's 
garbage. But when you go to where they're from, like if you actually go to China or you go to like their, you know, wherever the fuck they're from, it's like, oh no, like you you have to wave people down in these countries. Like it's it's like a thing. And if you don't wave them down, they're not coming to you. And the mindset is, hey, like I didn't ask for you to show up. Like I'm in the middle of like really important conversation. Like don't fucking bother me. No, don't refill my water. Like don't just don't show up to this table. Don't anticipate my needs. Yeah, don't anticipate jack shit. Like <laughs> so when you go to an Asian restaurant, I mean like Korean barbecue restaurant, or whatever, of uh, the newer ones, you'll see like a button where you can like ring the server. Oh. And that that helps because no one likes to be snapped at. No one likes to be yelled at. But if you hit a button, that's like ding dong. That's <laughs> kind of pleasant, you know? Yeah. Takes the guesswork out of it. Yeah, exactly. Where have you traveled to uh, that was like the most foreign to anything you had known before? Like what took you the most outside of your comfort zone? What was really awesome is um, when you go to a lot of countries, you kind of realize like people are – people like we're, we're the same all throughout we have like maybe like different cultures and like different likes or you know what we're used to but everyone likes to smile everyone likes to laugh everyone likes to have a good time everyone likes good food everyone likes good drink it's just they're just like your distant cousins pretty much so everywhere feels like home to you Every, everywhere feels like home um except for in thailand where i got really bad food poisoning <laughs> it was really bad really <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll save that for another yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a great story, actually. Um, so last year, I traveled to, like, Thailand, Singapore, and, like, a bunch of different other countries. And I, I left the hotel, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to eat everything. And I got some street food. I got, like, six things. And I came back, and I see this this lady pushing a cart. And, I'm, and we're standing on the, the uh, stop walk. And I look at her and I'm like, that's food poisoning. I'm not I'm not drinking what comes out of that cart. And I leave. And I run inside the mall to grab some socks. And I come out and there's a bunch of vendors outside of the mall. And I see the lady. And all the vendors leave their stalls like nothing's protected, whatever. And they all buy a drink from her. And I go, I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> we have to at that point. Yeah. And uh, she made sugar cane juice and it was like the best sugar cane juice i've ever had but it wasn't really sweet enough to be like a hundred percent sugar cane juice it was like the most balanced sugar cane juice i've ever had in my life i was like oh there's there's tap water in here <laughs> oh no and yeah that was yeah that was kinda, we can imagine where it goes from there yeah r.i.p for two weeks oh two weeks <laughs> yeah it was, it was uh it was rough oh my god I don't even know what to say about that. It was great. Like, I'd have it again if I had, like, antibiotics <laughs> next to me. But I did it. I asked my doctor for them. I was like, I'm going to Thailand. Can I get some antibiotics? She's like, no, if you, like, if you're safe, you should be fine. Like, I went to Thailand with my husband. We're okay. I was like, yo, I'm a chef. Like, I'll eat, I'll eat food off the ground if it you're works You're Anthony good. Bourdain this. <laughs> yeah. You're getting into the she's culture. Like, no, you don't need it. And I was like, all right, whatever. Anyways, she's not my doctor anymore. <laughs> no, you need someone that's going to give you preventative antibiotics. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Is there anything you won't eat? No. Really? I'll try everything at least once. Is there anything you've tried that you won't eat again? Yeah, I haven't had anything really, really terrible. Um, so you just have a palate that like you you like most things. Well, like I understand a lot of things. Like just because like you understand things doesn't mean you'll always like it. But I I'll understand everything, and and it's something that I like kind of understand. 
don't really want to understand. I'll probably try it again just to maybe it's like, hey, I had a bad rendition of it. I, like if it's a thing in a culture, if it's prominent in a culture, someone's made it tasty before. It's so. a good outlook. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so moving away from food, favorite place to buy a gift in Baltimore? So um, Suspended Brewery just opened up. I think they have like some of they, they have awesome beer like the beer is just fucking delicious and i usually get growlers and give them out to people um the way i give gifts isn't i don't like go to one spot and like get it i kind of tailor it to the the person right so uh i got some like truffle honey and truffle mustard for ben levenfeld and aquachara and i was in new york at the time and and i saw something on instagram and he was like going wild on the truffles. It's like it's truffle season, motherfucker! Like, come, come eat this. And he had a um, plate of like grilled chanterelles, and the dude put put like half a truffle on the chanterelle mushrooms. I was like, that's insane. Oh my god! And so I was like, oh, truffles! Like, yeah, he loves truffles. So I was in a store and I saw the truffle honey and the truffle mustard, and I was like, yeah, I think Ben don't like this. Did you try? Have you tried truffle honey? That's interesting. Yeah. I haven't tried that. Yeah, the first time I had it was. Um, we did the two-year week-long pop-up at Ekiban, and Julian showed up from Tagliata, and he made, like, a cauliflower, fried cauliflower bun, and it was uh, covered in truffle honey. It was, like, a 9 or $12 sandwich, and it tasted entirely of truffles. And I was like, How did he do that? This tastes like it's $1,000, yeah. but right, good job, man. <laughs> we, uh, we were in France last summer and went to a restaurant that was – like a tr- it was meant- it was known for its truffles, and I'm pretty sure that the owner, the chef, must have like an uncle that died and had like a truffle forest because everything had <laughs> truffle in it. Like it was to the point where truffles should be special, right? And like a part of a dish, not all that there is. And he was like shaving. He had a watermelon gazpacho with just like f- huge medallions of truffle floating in it. It wasn't part of the soup they were literally just like floating like life preservers in the soup and then like every every other dish after that he just like shaved like a pound of truffles onto it and you're like this isn't you don't get it like this isn't, <laughs> it's too much of a good thing um, so we i have not really eaten truffles since then because it was so gross you know what? you need to go to hong kong okay um, you want to take me or like yeah sure we'll, we'll go. go it's like a like expensive right? oh perfect okay. it's like hong kong and china so like Asians just love expensive shit. Like, if it looks awful but it's expensive, you, one of my cousins is gonna buy it. Right? I've seen crazy rich Asians. I know yeah. those. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when we went to Hong Kong, uh, one of my good friends took us around. She gives like a food tour. She's like, we gotta go to this dim sum spot. It's fucking awesome. It's not the fanciest place, but it's very unique in how they make their dim sum. And you had an option to put like truffle jam on like every fucking thing and it was only for like $12 more and I was like what what so so this shumai is only $15 now like oh my goodness Wait, shumai awesome. with truffle jam it was insane yes I've never uh, thought yeah. about that yep okay yep. it was wild is there anywhere around here to get that if you give me some time, I'll work okay. with uh, I'll work with Ben or Julian. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Please do that. Could you? Yeah. My birthday is in August. You have tons of time. <laughs> it sounds amazing. All right. So fifth question. It's actually a producer Mike question. 
Where is the best Chinese food in Baltimore? Oh, I mean, obviously my dad's place. But besides that, yeah. <laughs> obviously your dad's. Oh, I mean, you gotta go out to Ellicott City. Like, like the closest would probably be in Ellicott City. Um, so Chinese food is such a broad category. Like, oh, is it a big country? I mean, it's the size of Jamaica, but <laughs> um, because China's been such a, it's been a closed country for a long time without outside influence. The regions have had a lot of time to delve into their own cooking. So if you look at the western side of China, you have a lot more food that's influenced by the Middle East, a lot of spices. I mean, the Silk Road ran right through it. And then we go all the way to the East Coast. You have a lot of seafood, a lot of shellfish. Um, food is more doused with sugar because sugar was available. If you go to the northern part, they eat a lot of wheat. Southern part, they eat a lot of rice, not a lot of wheat. So the regions are totally different. Um, right now, the hottest flavor in China is like the Shetan peppercorns, like the mala. Like you can go anywhere to get that. And the place that does that the best would be Hunan Taste in Ellicott City, um, right next to the H Mart. Yeah, you, you. Oh, H Mart. Oh, H Mart. Magical place. The place is great. Um, and then if you go further down, you have like a hot pot. I think you have like a couple of hot pot places. Um, and then if you want to go down to like Rosedale, that area, um, you have chopsticks, which is dim sum, and that's where like everyone goes for dim sum. Like it gets it gets its job done. Some things are really really awesome, um, but because Chinese menus are so large, it's hard to find like. A place that does everything like awesome you know mm. fair answer yeah. well steve thank you so much for coming on the show it was really nice to get to know you and talk about delicious food cheers it's a lot of fun cheers yeah oh that's my third oh no just open up another one <laughs> i'm good <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Steve Chu for being on the podcast. Uh, to find out more about Ekiben, as if you don't already know, you can go to Ekiben Baltimore on Instagram or go to any food market or event in the city. For past day Baltimore episodes and all the cool stuff happening downtown, go to our site, godowntownbaltimore.com. Hey Baltimore is produced by Mike Evitz and made possible by Downtown Partnership. Our theme music is Artificial Sin by Super City. And I'm your host, Megan Eisenach. If you want to reach out, email us at heybaltimore at dpob.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>